0: Today we are continuing our series, it's called Identity, Recovering Our True Selves. It is uh, in Philippians, we've been in Philippians for a while, we're going to be in Philippians for a while. Uh, Paul has a lot of good things to say to the Philippians, and it is worth our staying here for a little bit. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Dave talk about uh, the fact that there are multiple generations that are called to faithfulness and they aren't all called the same. Some are given different gifts and he talked about Timothy and Epaphroditus um, having different gifts and receiving different callings. But this does maybe lead us to question ourselves, question, ask this question, who is qualified to serve? Um, Who gets to serve God? This was a question that somebody in this congregation asked me uh, a few weeks ago, why did God choose me? Why am I qualified to serve? So let's see what Uh, the scripture has to say about who gets to serve God, because it is a question that a lot of us are asking, whether intentionally, whether we're asking uh, out loud, articulating this to ourselves or not, we we do wonder who gets to serve God. Sometimes we think we know, Uh, sometimes we think it's us and it's not other people. So let's, let's look at what the scripture says today. For the Philippians, Paul wanted to write to them because they knew they were gods. And for many thousands of years of human history, everybody knew there were gods. And it was always a question of which God we have to find the right God. Then we have to find the right place to serve that God and do the right things with the right people. Those were the sorts of thoughts and questions people had. It wasn't, is there a God? Of course there was a God. Uh, Only recently have humans started to talk about God as if he didn't exist. But for the Philippians, they wanted to know, is there, are there right people that we should be hanging out with, and are there right things that we should be doing, right practices? You are probably more familiar with this argument that there is no God, right? Only me. In our time, this is the prevailing thought, and that my preferences get to dictate what I do, just how I feel. Just if I feel this way, I'll do this. If I feel that way, I'll do that. And if Paul were writing to today's audience, he would have probably a different spin, but what he writes, the Philippians, is still important for us because ultimately, whether you believe there is a God and there's right ways to approach that God, or you believe that you are your only God, you're going to develop a standard of righteousness. You're going to come up with a system that you follow. And it's either to be to, to worship another God or to worship yourself. Right? or to worship the one true God. So here is what I'm going to posit to you today, that there is a God, one true God, that he does exist, and he has some ideas about who gets to serve him that we should listen to. So let's see what those are before we really get started this morning. Let's look at what God has said in the past. Uh, in Ezekiel 33.11, it says, Say to them, this is God telling Ezekiel to teach the Israelites this thing. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways for while, uh, for why will you die? O house of Israel. Now I don't think many of you, maybe not any of you are Jews or of Jewish descent. So this may not apply to you directly, right? You might think, well, this is to the house of Israel. I'm not part of the house of Israel. Therefore that can't apply to me, but wait, there's more. Joel 2.32, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who here is in everyone? Anybody not in everyone? Okay, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And the Lord is calling you today. We will talk about that more. Revelation 3.19, this is Jesus speaking. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. That word repent in 3.19, it's the exact same as what is said in Ezekiel. I have no pleasure, right, in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, that's what repent means. Turn back, stop doing the wrong thing that you know is wrong. Turn back, repent. Behold, Jesus says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. If you are in this room today and you are hearing my voice or you are seeing these signs, this is a message for you today. God says that everyone can serve him. Joel 2.32, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. What about the people I don't like? Yes, them too. What about my enemies? Yes, them too. What about Nebraskans? <laughs> yes, them too. My wife's family is from Nebraska, if for no other reason, right? Nebraska is important. We need to keep Nebraska. Sorry, guys. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. We All of us here can serve the Lord. That's the answer God has for this question. Who can serve God? God says everyone. Now, like I said when I started, some things are going to get in the way of this. And one of the things that's going to get in the way of this is our righteousness. Because whether we pick a religious system for our righteousness, like many of the Jews did in the the days of Paul, or we just create our own system. We just say, it's my preferences. Our righteousness will always prevent us from serving God the way he wants us to serve him. So what is his answer for that? He knows that Paul's going to tell the Philippians that what is his answer for that? He gives us Christ's righteousness. Instead, he says, don't do it by yourself. It's not going to work. Don't try that. That's going to be a harmful thing to you. Instead, let me do it for you. So he gives us his own righteousness And then he's got a plan for us. He is not content to just let that be it. He says, I'm going to give you my righteousness, and then I'm also going to give you a goal, something to do, some place to aim. So let's talk about that today, yeah? Pray with me. God, I thank you for today. I thank you that you have given us your word, that it is written down, that we can know you through it. Lord, help us to know you better through this time spent with you this morning. God, I pray that you would speak through me, that everyone here would hear, not me, but your spirit speaking. Uh, Don't let them remember what I have said, Lord, but speak to their hearts that they might know you better and serve you well today. I pray in your name. Amen. So let's go back to the first few verses of Philippians chapter three here, and I'll just read one and two quickly. Finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I joked in the first sermon that uh, Paul uh, would not do well with this passage if it was being reviewed for literary purposes, because the first two sentences just don't hold together, right? Say them out loud to yourself or in your mind, at least rejoice in the Lord. Look out for the dogs. Right There's a disconnect there. There's a break. Why are these two sentences like this? Sometimes this happens when we read through uh, sermons, or I'm sorry, when we teach through passages and our sermons uh, break up the text in this way. What Paul is doing is in his letter to the Philippians, he is signaling that he is headed toward the conclusion, right? That finally, he's turning a corner in his letter. We're not teaching on the whole letter today. We're only teaching on part of it. So we kind of get this weird break here where it says, Finally rejoice and look out for the dogs, but he's just telling them, look, I'm going in a different direction with the letter now, but here's another important thing that I need to remind you of. Maybe he's even told them about this before, right? Maybe that's why he's saying it's safe for you to hear this again. No trouble for me to say these things again, but we do know this, that he goes on, that he carries this theme starting in verse two forward and says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul is not talking about four-legged furry friends, right? He's talking about people who have claimed a type of righteousness and said, you must follow that type of righteousness if you are going to serve God. And we know that he's talking about that kind of person because of the way he ends this phrase, the mutilators of the flesh. These are people specifically in Paul's day who are saying in order to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. Jesus did not teach that you had to be circumcised to be a Christian. He told his disciples to uh, baptize people, right? Who believed, make them disciples, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. But Jesus never commands anybody to be circumcised. And so this is, Paul says, wrong, right? This specific thing is wrong. But the principle here is not just circumcision, but anything that you might do, to claim righteousness for yourself. Anything that you might do to create a system for yourself of checks and balances of rights and wrongs that you can follow to make yourself right with God. God says, that's not going to work. You're going to fail in that system. Here's how Paul breaks it down. He says, uh, religious people are going to enforce their brand of righteousness on you. And here is how I know because I used to be that person. Paul says, He says, I have reason for confidence in the flesh also, maybe more than anybody else. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That is according to the law. Every Jew had to circumcise their sons on the eighth day. He said, that happened to me. I am in accordance with the law from eight days old, right? I can go back that far. And he says, I'm of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. If you knew after the exile, which tribe you belonged to, there's a good chance, right? That your family had kept very careful records because once your family and your uh, people have been dragged out of one country and put in another, and there's very poor record keeping, there's, there's a good chance that you don't remember or don't have proof anyway of what tribe you belong to. But Paul is saying, I can prove it, Right? I know that I was circumcised on the eighth day, that I am of the people of Israel, that I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I can prove all of these things. And in fact, as the law, I was a Pharisee. I added laws to the law to make sure that I was righteous. I did all of this. I can prove all of this. I persecuted the church even as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And it didn't do him any good. It did not gain him Christ it will not gain you, Christ. You can do all of these things. I can do the same thing. I can play the same game with you. I am a Christian who was born into a Christian home. My parents sent me to Christian schools. I went to a Christian college. I met a woman and we both abstained from sex until marriage and we've only been married to each other for 20 plus years and we're perfect. We're blameless according to the law. But we're not, right? That's not true. I can play that game. I can claim that kind of righteousness, but it is not going to save me and it's not going to qualify me to serve God because I fail in all of those things. Was I born in a Christian home? Yeah. Was it a perfect home? No. My parents did send me to Christian schools for like four years, right? And then I went to public school. And my wife and I have been married for 20 plus years, but has it been perfect? Of course not. Right? All of these things are claims that I can make, but they're not going to guarantee me the right to serve God because I will fail in all of those things, right? Most of my children were in here in the first service, so I didn't admit it then, but I'll admit it to you guys because they left, right? I fail all the time. I have five kids. You know how many opportunities it is to fail? Right? Multiple. So my righteousness is not what's going to qualify me to serve God. And it didn't qualify Paul. And he knew that even though he had all of these credentials, he knew that. So he said, don't do this because you're going to be tempted to build your faith on your own right action. And when you build your faith on your right action, as soon as you fail, your faith fails. Or if you build your faith on a system, when the system fails, your faith fails. Or if you build your faith on a system and you try to enforce it, other people will not be able to keep that law and then your system will fail, right? So Paul says, don't do any of this. Just stop. Here's his turn, his encouragement. Instead, he says, instead, we are the circumcision. We are the people who have the seal from God, the father, that we are his people. That's what he means by we are the circumcision, right? Circumcision was a sign in the flesh that said, you are now a part of God's people. You're in this in group. And Paul is saying, we are the real circumcision. We are the real in group. If we worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Jesus told the same thing to the woman at the well. If you guys remember that story, this, this Samaritan woman um, who, who is not living a righteous life and Jesus confronts her on her lack of righteousness. But then she asks him this question, like the Philippians are asking, but where should we actually worship God? Our, our fathers say this mountain in Samaria, your fathers say that mountain um, in Judah. Where, where should we worship God? He says, no, not places, right? Not practices in spirit and in truth. Worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. That is how you are qualified to serve God. Worship in the spirit and by the power of Jesus. Paul goes on in verse seven, whatever gain I had, whatever gain I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything just in case you missed it with whatever, right? He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Remember what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3. I am going to discipline those I love, and I want you to take that discipline as a recognition that here I am calling you come to me and believe in me. You don't have to do anything else to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on the name of the Lord. That's where your righteousness lies in Christ because he did it. He did it perfectly. We don't. He did. So we trust in him. We trust in him because our righteousness is worthless and his is ours. If we just believe That's why we would do this. But some of you are still going to question why we would do this. Some of you are going to say, why do we want to be righteous? I don't want to be righteous. Righteousness is no fun. Right? Uh, How many of you have seen the uh, classic of American cinema, The Emperor's New Groove? Anybody? Emperor's New Groove? Yeah. It's a high art cinema piece, right? Made by Disney. It's animated. And... And in this movie, right, there's this foolish character. He's fun. His name is Kronk, if that tells you anything, right? He's kind of this big, dumb guy. And he has the little angels on his shoulders, right? And one is good and one is bad. And one says, you know, I I represent the way of the righteous, right? And he's the angel. And the devil says, yeah, but I represent the way that rocks, right? I represent the way that's cool. And sometimes we feel like this. Sometimes we ask this question. Why take anybody's righteousness when it's no fun? I want to do what I want to do, God. I just, I really don't care. Why should I do what you are asking? Why should I suffer the loss of all things? Right? When, when we suffer, we say, suffer the loss of all things. And we look at Paul and what it meant for him to suffer the loss of all things. Yeah, he gave up. All of that self righteousness, all of that uh, Hebrew born, uh, circumcised on the eighth day, right, of the tribe of Benjamin, he gave all that up. He also gave up his physical health and well being. He also gave up his life. And Jesus also calls us to give up our lives in pursuit of him. So why would we do that? Why would we pursue any kind of righteousness? Here's why for Jesus' sake. Paul says in verse 8, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul does it to gain Christ and to gain new life. That's a pretty big motivator. If you are going to die, who here is mortal? That means you can die just in case anybody immortal. We'd like to hear from you this morning. Anybody awake? Good, good, good. We want you to know right here at grace that this is a real and good motivation to follow Christ, to have him and to spend eternal life with him. That's a good, real motivation. Listen, listen, Our righteousness and Christ's righteousness are worthless if we suffer and die and disappear, or if we suffer and die and then suffer more, right? If we pursue righteousness and it ultimately does not gain eternal life, it's of no value to us. I have 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 19. I'm going to turn there. Um, I'm going to read that. If you're able to uh, turn there with me, I encourage you to do that. The reason that we need to read from First Corinthians 15 is because Paul acknowledges this to the Corinthians as well, that if you don't have the resurrection, right? if we don't have eternal life as a hope, then we shouldn't be following any system of righteousness that God calls good, uh, that Christ offers us. So here's what it says in 15, starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why? Why why should we be pitied if if there's no hope of everlasting life? Because we're doing this for nothing, right? You came here for no reason this morning. If there's no everlasting life, but there is, it's true. There is everlasting life. We have it. If we have Christ. So why be righteous in the first place? Why, why should we want to be qualified to serve him? Because it's good and right to desire eternal life with Christ. Some people talk about selfishness in the faith, um, as just patently a bad thing. You don't want to be selfish in your faith. And I would agree that generally we don't want to be selfish Okay, but it is in our own best interest to want eternal life. Jesus wants us to want eternal life with him. And he says, Here, this is the gift I'm offering you life everlasting with me. So come have this. It's good for you to desire that. You should want that. That is a good motivator to want to be righteous. And also, because this free gift, it's ours in eternity, and also we can use it right now. You can serve God right now. When I said that you are qualified to serve, and I said that all of you are qualified to serve, I meant all of you, and I meant right now, not someday, today. Today you can serve God. So I'm still not quite sure that I want to serve God. It's not just a matter of want to, it's also an issue of get to. You get to serve God today. Think about the difference between these two situations. Think about somebody coming into this room, Somebody who's so famous that you would all know who he or she is, right? Somebody who's so wealthy that you know that they could back up just about any offer they make. And imagine a wealthy, well-known, famous person comes up on stage and they offer you the best job you've ever wanted. You might have a conversation with yourself, with your spouse about whether you want to take that job offer. That's not what we're talking about. Everlasting life and the opportunity to serve God. It's not a job offer right this is a get to this is the king of the universe is in this room right now with us and he says you get to serve me here now and forevermore do you understand the difference between want to and get to you may not want to but you get to you get to serve god even if you're from nebraska you get to serve god it doesn't matter who you are right it doesn't matter what you've done jesus says repent And be saved. And you can have everlasting life with me. So this is what he's offering. He has a plan for us. His plan for us is to qualify us to serve him through the sacrifice of his son. To give us his son's righteousness. That's his plan for us. Not that we would follow some set of rules and get it right and finally maybe be accepted. That's not his plan for us. His plan for us is to have his son's righteousness applied to us so that we can live forever with him. So remember I said for the Philippians, they were looking for the right people and practice and places. And maybe some of you have been doing that yourself. You've been looking for the right place to worship God or the right people or the right system of rules to follow. Stop. It's not helpful. Don't do it. And it's possible that you also are thinking, you know, I just, I don't prefer, I don't prefer to do it. Also not Helpful. You are going to die. Death is inevitable. Even if you don't like God, right? Even if you don't like this whole idea, you have to grapple with the fact that you are going to die. That is a reality. And we have a king, a God who reigns, and everyone can serve him. No matter who you are or where you came from, you can serve God. So accept Christ's sacrifice. Take the Holy Spirit's power. We have not talked about the Holy Spirit this morning directly, but we have talked about him recently. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to empower us to do all that he has commanded. How do we serve? With the power of God. Not with our own power, not with our own righteousness, but with Christ's righteousness, we can serve him. And with his Holy Spirit, we can serve him. This is ours today also. We don't have to do this by ourselves. So here's God's plan for us in three simple things, right? God is calling you to be a citizen that serves right now. How do you know it's you? Well, if you can hear my voice or if you are in this room and you are participating in this service, right? If you can read those words, if you can hear those words spoken, doesn't matter if you're here, this is for you. You say, well, I still don't know. I don't know that I want it to be for me. But this is Jesus. He's saying, I stand at the door, right? I knock. This is Jesus knocking this message right here today. And he is equipping you to serve with his power today. The Holy Spirit is available to you now. If you would like God to come into your life and live in and through you, you can do this. This is, this is for you. And this faithful service will lead to everlasting life. And don't mishear me. I've said this before. Paul said before, right? By any means, I want to to get everlasting life. Paul did not say then, and I am not saying here, that you have to do certain things to earn or to merit salvation. What I am saying is that faithful service is the path God would have you walk on to everlasting life. That's how he wants you to live out your life. Everybody can serve. And he says, I want you to be a part of that everybody. And here's what that will look like. You living your life faithfully in service to me until you come to everlasting kingdom with me. And I say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's his plan for us. And we don't talk enough about heaven and we don't talk about it in the right ways. And a lot of you think that heaven is fluffy and clouds and harps, right? And you think of of fat babies with wings, right? Right? That's not heaven, right? Heaven is the restoration. Heaven is the consummation. It's completeness. It's yes, all of sin and death and darkness and dying, all of those going away. And it's also you being able to do all that you were intended to do. your, Your glorified body, your body that cannot break down or cannot fail anymore, right? It is you having intimacy with other humans that does not require complicated relationships, Right? It is you having everything God intended for you to have forever. Right, Some of you are workers, you're builders, you do things with your hands. Right? Imagine being able to get it right the first time. Measure once, cut once, and it works. Right, That's heaven, only applied broadly to everything. Everything you do works because God intended you to be that way. And maybe you have to learn still, right? But you're learning and growing with the knowledge that all of it will add to itself and you will know more and hold on to that knowledge. You won't forget, right? And you won't constantly beat yourself up because it's perfection. That's what he is calling us to, that faithful service now leading to that everlasting life with him forever. And he wants all of you to have it. Every single person here, it doesn't matter what you've done. Let's pray. God, we praise you for this message that we can have you forever. Lord, I pray that we would give up, that we would count as loss anything that would stand in the way of us receiving you. Lord, you are of such great value. Paul says you have surpassing value. Help us to see that you and righteousness that you offer is so much better than what we can produce by ourselves. Lord, keep us from sin and help us to live faithful lives. Help us to repent and believe. Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I have just a couple of announcements today. The first is that there is a meeting this coming Thursday at 6 p.m. And it is a discipleship roundtable. There are no tables. They are not round or square or triangle. There's no tables at all. It's just a type of meeting where you come and talk and we talk with you. And we will talk specifically about what Grace does offer to help you be disciple-makers who make disciples. And we'll ask questions of you. So if you have not been to one of our two previous meetings and you would like to come to this one this Thursday uh, at 6 p.m. in this room, we encourage you to come. The last announcement is that our Faith and Finances class is a two-part class meeting once in February and once in March. It's coming up very fast here, as you can see, on the 26th. And we would encourage you to come to that too. So register at graceb3.org. Tony Lunescus, who is here, I won't make him stand up and come up to the front, though I know he'd love that, uh, is going to lead that class. He is the chair of our financial review committee and is a um, financial planner, and he will be able to uh, walk you through how you can be a good steward of God's resources, part of that faithfulness leading to everlasting life. If you're able, please stand, and I'll pray for us and send us out this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you give us all we need in you, in your Son. Your righteousness is sufficient for us. God, I pray that we would hang on to cling to your righteousness, that we would give up our own, that we would repent and believe and follow after you. Thank you, Lord, for everlasting life. Thank you for the gift of everlasting life. We praise you for it. In your name, Jesus, amen. Have a good week. in grace.